Get an inside view of the latest private equity deals and the people behind them and meet the people who make it happen. Welcome to Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. Host Kevin Fechtmeyer and the Deal Team 6 members interview company founders who have succeeded and some that haven't. Each show will feature lively interviews with company founders to find out whether there is a deal or no deal. Now here is Kevin Fechtmeyer and his team of experts. Good morning. This is Kevin Fechtmeyer, Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. We're here for our third episode, and uh, we've got a great guest uh, talking about the beauty industry. And uh, he was one of the instrumental executives in building a company known as Philosophy in the cosmetics field. Just to talk a little bit first in the intro here, we've got some interesting deal stats which is that there are no deals. Uh, Thanksgiving week was a dead one, and uh, we actually only saw two deals, which is well under our average of about 10 to 20. So I guess actually people took a vacation this weekend, which is a pleasant surprise. Otherwise, very busy, very busy. I think everyone who's been following the show knows that the private equity business is booming. Uh, We're here to shed a little bit of light on that industry, and uh, statistics are enormous, but do we try to dig beneath the statistics to find out what's really going on in the industry? So I think the term I've heard from about half the private equity firms I talk to is they're selling everything that's not nailed down. You have an an unusual, if not extraordinary period of our time where you've got uh, valuation multiples at least one to two turns higher than average. Uh, historically low interest rates, despite everyone's uh, constant predictions of a, a rising interest rate environment. For the last several years, they've stayed quite low, and they've actually gotten a little bit lower. And that creates a lot of, uh, I think, uh, <laughs> unintended bravery on the part of investors in terms of their beliefs in the future interest rate curve, which is, uh, in our view, headed up, but maybe not as fast as maybe some people had feared. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, private equity investors uh, rely on strategic investors taking them out. So what we're seeing is uh, valuations in the middle market, which we define as the 50 to $500 million revenue company. Those things are getting higher and higher because com- uh, companies, the strategic investors, have to grow, and they're one of the few areas to grow is through acquisitions. So called the strategic put. And every private equity investor is taking a lot of, of, of stock and putting a lot of value in the strategic put. I, I guess you know, we, we come from a simpler, older time. Back 20, 30 years ago when we started this business, we, uh, our, our team here has uh, seen you know, wild fluctuations in the markets with booms and busts. And uh, I, I think we're we're looking at uh, the mathematics, and we're also looking at what I call the froth in the market. And there's as much <laughs> froth in the valuations as there are, uh, you know, real value. Um, I guess our view, simplistically, is that you can pay a multiple of earnings that uh, yields a good return, and then anything above that, you're really paying for an option value for that company's growth. And if you look at today's public market valuations and private market valuations, they're extraordinary extraordinarily high on that basis. So talking a little bit about some themes we're seeing in the private equity market, there was a lot of fear when Amazon began to grow a few years back into material parts of some retail segments that the malls were dead. 
that uh, the real estate business was going to change and the shopping mall was going to die. And I read an interesting article by a very you know, thoughtful person in the Wall Street Journal about the uh, turnaround in some of the values in the malls as people begin to repurpose malls away from the traditional anchor tenants and into new forms of consumer entertainment, which is you know, creating some optimism in the mall arena for the first time in a while. So we're seeing a lot of real estate deals also uh, that were really restaurant deals, but they became real, real estate deals when the restaurants ended up getting closed down or rationalized. I think one of the ones that you see most, uh, most of the press about was Red Lobster, but there's a, a number of those out there. And it's just a part of the kind of rejuvenation of the retail landscape in the, in the consumer segment as consumer tastes evolve. Uh, interestingly, this last week, Black Friday was down 4%, which I thought was quite interesting, whereas Cyber Monday and, in fact, cyber sales all weekend were up 18%. So it's just part of the continuing landscape towards uh, the increased digital uh, shopper. And uh, if, that's, if there's a sign of a top in that area, it, it's probably when WeWork announced that they were expanding into retail. I think they raised, a, I think, of a billion dollars at a $20 billion valuation with, uh, uh, I think, uh, the hopes that they were going to create a multi-purpose uh, tenancy in uh, both office, where they specialize, as well as retail. I think that's going to be... Uh, Probably a sign of a top when it comes to that area. But uh, pretty much everyone is moving into omni-channel retail, and uh, we do a lot of investments in uh, different parts of that, uh, of that you know, value chain. So talking a little bit about other large private equity deals, such as uh, the recent uh, purchase of Time Magazine by a group backed by Coke Equity. They swear there's not going to be any editorial intervention. That'll be interesting to see if that's true, which I suspect it will be. I don't think they can afford to take that brand, uh, you know, lose any of the credibility. They've uh, got a very interesting uh, statistic with paid circulation of 60 million, readership of 135 million. But uh, uh, as of this year, it's pretty decidedly in favor of the digital readership. There's 170 million monthly unique visitors to their website. So Interesting is, is retail gets repurposed to omni-channel and digital. The magazine industry is also doing the same uh, in, the, in their area. So we're finding a lot of opportunity in the private equity market in uh, repurposing this uh, content into the digital landscape and creating both subscription and, uh, and, uh, and advertising-based revenue streams. Um, just going through the next series of transactions that came out in today's deal sheet. Bitcoin breaks $9,000. That's an interesting statistic. Tells you where a lot of the excess liquidity is moving into this market. Speculative assets continue to get a huge lift. Um, venture continues to get bigger and bigger. It's, if there's any more evidence needed to <laughs> see that they've replaced the IPO market, it's when Lyft raised $500 million in their last round, led by Capital IG. And there was another multiplayer reality game, augmented reality game, called Niantic. It raised $200 million. So it's a round led by Spark Capital. So that, that uh, really in the last 10, 20, 30 years ago would have been an IPO. 
Now it's all being funded by the private equity market. Um, one of the things that we'd like to talk about and just really uh, prepare you for is the, the, this series is the, the third episode, and it's entitled uh, Building a Beauty Empire. And Mark Harshberger is here with us, and uh, he was the COO of a company called Philosophy, which grew from 10 million to 100 and what, 45 million? Uh, Correct, the 250 million and, back uh, by 2008. He's uh, was successful in selling that to a private equity firm. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the process he chose and you know why he selected them, and uh, even going back into the history and you know what was the make or break moment in the company's history, which was, it was an exciting story and a very successful story here in the Arizona market. Um, for those of you listeners who've been following this weekly, the first session was uh, company uh, coach, CEO coach, led by uh, Mark Sandroff. And uh, he addressed the question is, you know, wh why do I need a CEO coach? And uh, we interviewed a company that uh, is growing rapidly and is in the uh, retail food area. Uh, that's called Great Harvest Bread. We had Eric Keshen, the CEO there. And last week we had uh, a session called uh, The Do's and Don'ts of Private Equity. And there's plenty of those. I think we got through about four or five of each. And that was with Chris Roden of C3 Capital and Jeff Mastro of uh, Stake 44. And also talked a little bit about mezzanine debt, which uh, is a where uh, Chris Roden's team specializes. Um, so I guess we're going to move from an obsession with food to an obsession with beauty this <laughs> week. I guess uh, we're, we're certainly uh, excited to have uh, you know, quality CEOs, and, and I guess the goal of the show is to really dive into what makes this company successful, uh, successful or not. We've had several companies on that uh, were looking for capital and, uh, and several that uh, have... Uh, that actually, um, it's unclear whether they will be successful or not. And so I think we're going to spend a little bit of time in trying to find out at what point did uh, philosophy uh, create value and when, uh, you know, what decisions they had to make at different points in their development to, to be, you know, a, a winning investment for a private equity firm. Um, talking about the latest transactions, I wanted to run through a few more that uh, came down the pike in our pipeline. We only had two new deals, but there was a very interesting chemical company that specialized in uh, chemicals, you know, distributed inside different industry segments. And, uh, you know, that was a very nice company that had uh, started at $3 million and was already at $20 million in three and a half years. So, you know, at the, at the point we're ready to interview the CEO there, um, we'll hopefully have him as a guest on the show in a few weeks. And we've also had a couple transactions that had, um, you know, call it, uh, I would say, the alcohol, tobacco, firearms risk, which has generally been a, 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 a an area private equity has avoided. Um, this the the regulatory uh, risk, the, uh, the the headline risk. Um, we did see a very successful group of uh, nightclubs and restaurants that had an excess of a 75% of the revenue from alcohol. And, you know, we're wrestling with that right now. We've got to figure out uh, which amongst our team can get comfortable with that. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the kind of investors that, that can invest in those industries and 
once again, we'll be able to invite that CEO onto the, uh, you know, onto the show at the time when he's ready to, to talk about his deal. And as we look at the deals we turned down, there's a, a, several transactions that were actually too small. And uh, we typically don't invest in uh, deals under 10 million of revenue, but there were some very profitable deals that were at eight to 10 million of revenue that we did look at. And uh, software as a service was one of those. We are seeing tremendous valuation multiples from those, but I think uh, when we get into the technology segment with Seth Page, one of our deal team six members, um, you'll find that uh, there's tremendous value in software as a service companies because they've got recurring revenue, they tend to trade for higher multiples, and there's very little capital expenditures needed to grow that business. So they tend to trade, uh, you know, to the double-digit EBITDA multiple range, if not, high, you know, in the in the mid-teens, depending whether it's a strategic acquirer or a financial acquirer. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the deals that are sort of on the edge, and you know, want to sort of roll those out. We've seen some consumer services deals that uh, were growing in our markets, uh, local markets, Southwest. Everything from HVAC, uh, that's heating, <laughs> ventilation, air conditioning, as well as uh, plumbing services, building services. There's a, a very large uh, part of the market now that is uh, around outsourced uh, services to the consumers and to business. And uh, that's been a consistent target for private equity investing as well. And we're going to have a couple of those on the show by the end of uh, January. Um, We've got a break coming up, so that's really the market overview right now. But uh, when we come back, we're going to target uh, the beauty industry and learn a little bit more about that with our guest, Mark. We've got um, two, I think we're going to look at you know two parts. We're going to look at how it grew and where it got to where it, it, it did, and then you know why it was successful in the sale and how you picked a private equity firm. And then the, finally, we're going to end up with, what are you guys doing now? Where, you know, where did that team go? Did, did, we, did, we, did we have a legacy in that company that uh, produced other companies um, in the industry that uh, went on to other successes? And I think we're, some interesting lessons there. So with that, we're going to move to the commercial break, and then uh, we'll be back shortly with Mark Harshberger. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. 
In this fast-paced, technologically driven world of business, the stress can be crushing. It's exhausting business leaders and burning out good employees. It is not enough to work from the top down. We must now learn to work from the inside out. Listen to Innovative Mindful Solutions with Terry Geller. We will discuss ways to transform roadblocking emotions using mindful-based tools you can incorporate into your business and your life right now. Don't stress. Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Hello, this is Kevin Feckmeyer, host of Deal Junkie, Cracking the Private Equity Code. I'm here with our guest, Mark Harshbarger, former COO of Philosophy, and uh, he's got a very impressive background. He spent uh, several years in the banking industry, has two master's degrees, so he's only slightly educationally challenged, and uh, <laughs> as entrepreneurs, sometimes their success is inversely correlated with their education, but uh, Mark has proven the opposite. He uh, joined Philosophy when the company was only $10 million in revenue, and then ultimately worked with the founder and built a team that uh, created several hundred million dollars of value. And uh, I think that's a, a very rare accomplishment and uh, we're really pleased to have him on the show today. So let me, let me just start with the, a little bit of your background, uh, Mark. Talk, talk a little bit about you know, how you got started and then you know, what, what made you become entrepreneurial? Well, first of all, good morning, Kevin. Thank you uh, very much for having me on your show. That uh, in terms of what made me entrepreneurial, I'm not sure anything makes you entrepreneurial in terms of what is just God-given to you and, and who you are. That uh, early in my career, I certainly um, was in the banking industry, worked for some of the major big-name big banks. And as my career progressed and I did a variety of things, I became more and more interested in having a product. Um, a full product that we manufactured and sold to the consumer, and it just you know, lit my fire, if you will. And that's what drove me um, to move from the banking industry to Dial. Uh, Dial Products is also here in the Phoenix area. That I was there with Dial for a number of, of years, um, did a variety of positions there in, uh, in the finance industry, since that was my background in strategic planning. Then uh, moved within Dial to, with, Oh, the Armor Star Can Meets was a division of there, but it was more of an entrepreneurial um, situation to where they encouraged you to think that of you owning your own business, um, making your own business decisions, of course, with management oversight. I, I got to ask you, though, that every company loves to talk about their entrepreneurship, but uh, do they pay you? How do, how do they pay you any differently in a big company 
when you're asked to pursue those kind of new businesses? Oh, I can't say that the, the incentive programs <laughs> were, were all, all that. Uh, there was certain, for management, uh, that there is stock incentives and, and pay and things like that. But I, I think it was more or less, not so much a financial incentive, but trying to create a positive environment for the culture of the company that you're at and what just kind of makes you motivated to get up to go to work and do a good job. Um, and I certainly enjoyed those years at, at Dial where I was a controller of a company, but I was more than the controller um, of one of their divisions. I felt like I was a part of the overall management team trying to drive profits, and that just you know, was very exciting. How big was that, uh, that division? Just that division is one of the smaller ones. You hear of Armor Store Can Meets. Um, that it was one of their smaller ones, and you can sign, sit there and say, I'd be more sexy, if you will, to be on Dial or, or Purex. <coughs> but the team we put together there, as a friend of mine, we, we kind of coalesced and had very similar visions, that uh, even though we were in the smaller divisions um, within the Dial Corporation, it was oddly enough that when extra profits needed to be generated to hit the quarterly targets, <laughs> which division did they come to? They came to ours um, <laughs> because we were running a smooth enough operation that uh, we could deliver and, and, and we were able to, to make the plan happen. Interesting. Interesting. Well, then, what, what, what drew you from Dial? Into Velocity, because that must have been a scary jump. I, oh, it, I don't hear many you know, high-powered guys coming out of corporate America saying, I can't wait for to work for a $10 million company. Well, first of all, I, I appreciate the thought of uh, being considered uh, high-powered. I don't look at myself that way, but uh, I look at myself as just trying to work with a group of people to do, do an awesome job. Um, but what led me to leave Dial was that even though I did have the entrepreneurial um, arrangement and it was, a, it was a good, solid job, uh, our careers evolve, and who you are, you are as a person evolves. And I needed, at that time, to move to a position that I felt even more ownership and played uh, a higher entrepreneurial level um, and just have an impact on the organization. And when uh, the opportunity came to join Philosophy, it was a struggling organization. Like you said, it was 8 to $10 million in revenue. It was struggling uh, to make it financially, and it had all types of problems. Um, but let, it, was, let, it was a consumer yeah, product. Let, that, let me ask you a timing yeah. question, and you know, this is probably get me in tr trouble with the, the various regulators. But you know, ultimately, how old were you when you made that jump, when you... Because I, I think it's it's a big debate about people in corporations. You know, do they jump on their 20s when it's too early? Oh, do they was, wait till their 30s? I was they in they wait my 40s. 40s? I was in so, my 40s. So you, you were a pre-seasoned guy yeah. when, that, when well, that. So you were... Yeah, and, okay. and it was not without risk because I had you know, a lovely wife, three children, um, colleges coming up. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so you can sit there and say the safe and easy route was to stay w with Dial. Um, but uh, it just became very evident that it was time for me to take a change and uh, uh, do something that I thought would be very fulfilling and exciting. Um, so I went to the smaller company, and, and uh, obviously everything turned out very, but, very But well. what attracted you? What was exciting? I know Christine, you mentioned, was mm -hmm. a brilliant uh, creator of these products. I mean, what, what was exciting to you? Well, what was exciting about it is, one, it, it was a very small brand that uh, if you look at it, it had all types of opportunity to grow. Was it just skincare at the time? Was it mm -hmm. cosmetic? Was it, you know, it, it was the, it was the greater beauty industry. I mean, we had a little bit of what was referred to as color. There was skincare. 
there was, we actually had two companies at the time. There was a biomedic, there was philosophy, two different distribution channels. Um, there was some fragrance. It was a variety of things. And it also had manufacturing, uh, which was kind of, for a small company, kind of controversial at that time mm. to go through the effort of making your own product. We made 90% of our own product right here in, in Phoenix. Was it QVC uh, back then? Uh, and when I joined in 1998, we did not have business with QVC. That okay. happened in 99. Where did you, what were the two distribution channels then? Well, we had two basic lines of business. Philosophy was started based on the learnings that Christine and her partners uh, generated from a company called Biomedic. Okay. Um, and that was to deliver a new type of skincare approach to the, to um, esthetician, I mean, to uh, um, you know, dermatologists and plastic surgeons along that line. But that was not or solving Christina's desire to be truly creative. Um, she was very skilled in developing products for that, but it didn't release her creative juices, if you will. Mm -hmm. So she took those scientific learnings and applied them uh, to a consumer market and created philosophy. And that was the, the color? The, it, was, it was skin care. It did a lot of the things that we did uh, for the plastic surgeons and the dermatologists. It's just we put a fragrance on it. You had to be pretty stale in the medical channel. We're here. You could have philosophy. We're kind of known for our poems and our witty comments. On it was the very holistic it. approach. Yeah. The first organic uh, right. the whole thing, cosmetic the whole, company, the whole approach as I there. The whole approach was just totally different than you would do in the medical market. I see. And and that just kind of unleashed her to be able to be as creative as, as she is to this day. And it, and it really ramped. I mean, talk a little bit about... Oh, it took know. some time. Um, that when I joined in uh, 98, it was scary times mm -hmm. that, that I was hired to actually uh, try to sell off... Uh, Biomedics, so we could focus on philosophy. That didn't go so well, but when I ended up joining and coming on as a controller, um, within six months we hit very significant financial problems to where the gentleman that had hired me, and he was actually from Dial, so that was the connection, that uh, we had to make uh, some very painful, significant um, changes because the company was going under mm -hmm. um, and, and was running out of money. Mm -hmm. um, and that uh, was an interesting I remember one little anecdotal story. I sat down with Christina, and she was obviously very concerned, being the CEO. And uh, and I said, "Well, there's a good news and bad news here, Christina. <laughs> um, uh, the bad news is we're running out of money. Obviously, it, it doesn't hit well with the CEO. The <laughs> good news is you have a, a fair amount of revenues that we have to play with." Um, and so in my mind, the, I know this is kind of a, a from a joking standpoint, a, a very kind of a unique way to solve the problem is to cut your expenses to be less than your revenues. <laughs> what a revolution. <laughs> what a revolution. <laughs> um, and you, know, you often hear that's so hard to do, but we just did it. Um, and it was painful. Uh, mm -hmm. But you have to do what's right for the company for it to survive and grow and thrive. Wow. Wow. Uh, and, and that's so what we you did, did that. Yeah. We, did, we just did that. And I had, and I had a game plan in mind um, that uh, I'm a huge uh, believer in relationships um, uh, with the employees, um, with your distribution channels, with your customer, uh, with your vendors, that you do business the right way. And if you treat them right, they'll treat you right. Just, mm. just who I am. Um, so I had to sit down with our banks. That's a whole other show there on what we had to do there. Um, but I sat down with our vendors, showed them my plan that what we needed to do and just work with me and we'll turn this around and I'll pay you on time 
from here on out like clockwork. Mm-hmm. And it worked. I had a plan that uh, we cut the expenses, we monitored our revenues, and then we just cr- I put in certain other disciplines to make sure we never got in that bind again. Uh, this was back when? What year? This would have been 99. Okay. 1999. And, and so talk a little bit about some of those mistakes that you saw and what, what was some of the big mistakes uh, and then what was some of the big kind of like revelations that well, I would in, say the, in those olden days. I would yeah. say there's a, a couple things that we were struggling. And, and it's pretty typical, I would think, because I, I consult now for some other small firms and get to see other things. And it, it just happens that you fall in love with your company, you have these great visions, and you're going to do all this, and you build some ca- cases, this is what we did here, is we built the house of dreams. Mm-hmm. We overbuilt the admin structure for, and just the whole process of who we were. We lost sight that mm-hmm. we were still a small company. And we overbuilt, we lost focus, we over uh, inventoried, just did a variety of things. So between too much structure, lack of focus, and uh, and the excess inventory, it just got to be a real negative cash flow position. Well, we talked about some of the troubles and you know to the point of turnaround here, and it's, mm-hmm. it's very rare for a company to be able to you know turn around a culture that that certain expectations and you know become embedded in the cost structure. So you you you've done something right there. What talk a little bit about you know what was the key steps that, that you know symbolically or financially were made and then really turn the tide. Well, there was. I mean, I could talk to kind of like emotional steps and I can talk to business steps. I remember the first day I walked in. I sit there and said, oh, can I see our, our budget and see our forecast and how we're doing all that? And, and basically, they had ch- a checkbook. Hmm. Um, there was no real financial plans in place. That was um, one of our don'ts, you know. Yeah, was, was, uh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell me you have no budget. There, there, was, there was no... Well, <laughs> or, or, or look at me with a blank face yeah, and, and, was, uh, and say, uh, oh, I got it right here. I'll get it to you tomorrow. Well, <laughs> I, I can't say there was no budget, but basically the budget was set that, okay, I paid, I'll just use the APS bill. I paid our electricity bill so much last year so that for I'm going to pay it that much this year. Okay. Um, it was that type of thing. So you go okay. through all your vendors and your revenues and, and so it wasn't a plan as you and I would think right. in terms of financial structure. You just hit my first big don't uh, yeah. from last week. Yeah. It's a don't. But anyway, we've got... Uh, so we don't uh, need to rehash that one. Five seconds uh, left. Let's let's actually jump into the the ramp up when we get back to after the commercial break. Well, I can talk to you all about the successes. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, now we'll, we'll, we'll no more of this, uh, you know, historical. Let's talk about the ramp period. And you got it. We, we'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. 
In this fast-paced, technologically driven world of business, the stress can be crushing. It's exhausting business leaders and burning out good employees. It is not enough to work from the top down. We must now learn to work from the inside out. Listen to Innovative Mindful Solutions with Terry Geller. We will discuss ways to transform roadblocking emotions using mindful-based tools you can incorporate into your business and your life right now. Don't stress. Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Hello, this is Kevin Feckmeyer, host of Deal Junkie at Cracking the Private Equity Code and back with Mark Harshbarger, former COO of Philosophy, and uh, he's actually done a tremendous job talking about <laughs> what he walked into and uh, what he had to deal with to get the company turned around and poised for growth. But uh, this segment's going to be on what he did and what happened to make the company grow so successfully, because the kind of the rest is what you hear about in the history books. Talk a little bit about the the key decisions and steps you took over the next. You know, several years from that point, from uh, and, and what worked and what didn't. Yeah, you got it. Well, one of the the key decisions that uh, I would like to take 100% credit for, but that would not be truthful. Um, but it was is a, a wise decision made by Christine, and, and it involved my, myself. But she was really the leader on that. And and the issue there was that you've got a young entrepreneurial company that's struggling, um, and that. In my mind, would have followed the philosophy of no pun in words. There is that you have to differentiate yourself. You have to be bold. Um, the way that she created that is back at that time, it was not the hip thing to do to go on QVC with a beauty product. And QVC was actually very interested in having us uh, go on air with them. Uh, we were reluctant because of the brand image that we were trying to create, of who we were. We were on all the upper end in stores, but at the same time, we were losing money. So we had to be bold and do something to differentiate well, ourselves. Well, that because of the what the department store model had uh, a lot of cost attached to it. Uh, absolutely, there's, there's yeah. a fixed overhead and a variable overhead associated with it, and I won't mention any names. But there was one uh, channel that we were one distribution or store that we were in that we would send them product, and at the end of the month, I'd also send them a check. Hmm. So you can imagine that math doesn't work very well. You, you make the product, you send it to them, and you send them a check. <laughs> uh, so that was, that was one of the things that I did. Uh, once I discovered that we were doing that is I stopped doing business with that organization. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with them. It was more of our issue because we didn't have enough volume to, to cover the overhead. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, but to be bold, uh, to go on to QVC, and uh, that was a, a bold move um, because some of the higher-end department stores were very concerned about what it would do um, to their business. And uh, I remember we went on air, we were watching it, and 
and then sold out, sold out, and within 36 minutes our whole inventory was gone, and literally QVC had to uh, go on to the next segment, even though we had a full wow. hour put on. And it was just a, a miracle <laughs> ever since then uh, of what they what, what did. What year was that? That, that would have been uh, uh, 99. That would have been the summer of 99. So you made a pretty bold steps from the time you walked in to... We had to. Yeah. Um, it was down to that. And one thing we didn't talk about, the other one uh, was that I even had our banker come in. Again, I won't mention any names. Um, came out and said, you need to close down philosophy. And to guide you on that, we are closing your line of credit. <laughs> To guide you? To guide us, yeah. yes. And okay. I sat there and said, well, I appreciate that input, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> and, and we found other financing, and uh, you know, the rest is, is, is history, of course. So then yeah, We have a whole other show on, on bankers, but yeah. not, we can't bash them just yeah. yet. And, and uh, they didn't do anything wrong. there's some really good ones and yeah. some really And, and they didn't do ones. anything wrong. Um, <laughs> they didn't know the internals of the organization the way I did. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, So the second thing that, that really turned us around, and I'm sure the women listening to this will get appreciated that, is that uh, sometimes um, good fortune is on your side. And we had distribution in a high-end department store. And there was one lady that was walking through and said, huh, what is this philosophy? And what is this hope in a jar? I, I want more of this. I went back to her staff and asked them to uh, look more into the company and learn more about the product. Um, and then that person, uh, you know, I'll be joking here. I'll try <laughs> to remember her name. Um, oh, yes, is it coming to the, the person was Oprah. Um, and, uh, oh, so, the, the tele, okay. Oh, yeah. And Oprah so, Winfrey has yeah. made or broken so and, many companies. Uh, and, uh, and, and she treated us always very fairly. Uh, we were on her holiday favorite gift shows uh, every other year and uh, made mention to us so that you can imagine the positive um, press that that would do Great. to us to, to have uh, such a, a, a fan and follower of, of an individual like that, uh, that that obviously helped our, our business a, wow. a, a huge amount. Um, then the, the other thing was that I would say that it, it is tough and, and you read about it a little <coughs> bit is, is the culture of the company. A lot of times people ask, well, Mark, what did you do the most that you were most impressed with? And okay, I can roll off numbers, I can roll off all these things. But the most important thing I think that we did was to create um, a, a culture of family, team, all rowing in the same direction. Um, to where, in my mind, you can have a lot of skilled people, say like on a, on a sports team, but if you're not playing the same playbook, um, those skilled players are not going to do very well. Are you talking about the Arizona Cardinals now? Or are you talking about? I'll keep it all uh, generic at this stage. Okay. But, but it's a key thing that, uh, in my mind, is not to have you know the the superstar at every position, uh, be it e either in finance or in manufacturing or in HR or legal or whatever. But do we work together as a team? Can we create a vision? Can we communicate that vision onto the rest of the employees? And then we all row in the same direction. Um, that took a, a few years to, to create from the late 90s to the early 2000 range. How did, the, yeah, how did that revenue ramp start when QVC kicked in 99, 2000? How quickly did revenues grow over the next three to five years? Oh, I mean, I can recount all the numbers, but basically, uh, to summarize that in one sentence, think of a 50% growth rate per year for about five, six years. Wow. And we were manufacturing our own, our own product. So the, for those of you who are out there that are in manufacturing, to know that next year's demand is most likely going to be 50% greater than this year's demand, and you want to deliver not only a quality product, but on time, good customer service, treat everybody 
fine. And matter of fact, uh, driving coming down here to the studio, the plant that uh, we had was only two blocks to the north from here. Hmm. And uh, and so we had the pleasure of uh, growing 50%. Um, having gone, we did eventually sell that one uh, company, um, and then build a whole another manufacturing plant about wow. a mile and a half to the west of here, managing that whole concept. Did you manufacture your own products mm -hmm. until I, the time? Ninety percent of them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Why did you do that? Um, I'm a control freak. Um, <laughs> okay, get that, it out there. Yeah, I, I, I might as well just say it. That it makes a lot of sense because there is you do have to buy your equipment, so there's a lot of good logical reasons why you would outsource it. Mm -hmm. But but at the same time, before I came on, they had already invested in some of the equipment. So from my mind, that was a sunk cost, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, well, gross margins in the beauty business are oh they're they're enormous. Huge. Yeah, they're, they're huge. But one of the things I always say is that one of the things that can bring a, a company to its knees quickly is fast growth. Mm -hmm. because uh, you, you're manufacturing the product for sale and then you get your receivables, a lot of type of stuff. Oh, yeah. so, so you have to have all your good financing behind it to support it. But you can imagine the stresses of growing 50%, manufacturing that, and then building a whole other location. Um, but wow. we, had, we had a great time. And wow. we, it, we, I can sit there and tell you all types of stories of things that we did to make it happen. And, uh, and then as we were finishing uh, the building, um, and just moving in, uh, we can decide if we can come back to this. We just moved in, been there for a month or so. Christina calls me in the office and says, Mark, this is an awesome building. I think it's time to sell. <laughs> it's like, oh, can, can, I, I agree with that, uh, but can we enjoy this for uh, a, a year or two? Well, uh, two more questions before we get into the last segment, you which got is your, your selection of a private equity firm and the sale process and all that, because it's a whole other uh, session. But okay. in the last few minutes, I... A couple of big questions that sure. always, you know, and particularly the beauty industry, any creatively different industry, how do you blend this creative genius with business discipline? I, I keep hearing that's the hardest thing. Well, yeah, one of the things that Christine and I always say is that we were, we were blessed um, to have the two of us there. That... I certainly know my limitations. Uh, I'm not going to try to say that I'm going to be out and be the creative genius of creating the next skincare product the, and, and the whole approach that she came up with. Because um, one of the things we didn't even talk about was the name of philosophy and how she branded it and the whole story. That we didn't sell product per se, we sold concepts of emotion you know, called hope and grace and purity. Mm -hmm. And you've known me for a number mm -hmm. of years. That's probably not a concept that I'm going to come up with. Um, you are a warm and fuzzy guy, but maybe not quite <laughs> not that. Not that much. So, so I, when I would see that and see how it worked and resonated with the women, I had to be honest with to myself. And I would challenge anyone has to be honest to yourself because the goal isn't about you. The goal is doing about what's best for the company. And clearly, there was a skill set that I did not have that she did to be able to create that product line. But at the same time, she would admit, right hand, that in terms of the discipline of running the business and putting in the goals and putting in the, the procedures and the right staffing and the budgets and the controls, I think I already mentioned, that that wasn't her strength. Mm -hmm. So we developed a, a, a very strong mutual respect for each other's role. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we're going to have some women entrepreneurs on future shows. I think it's absolutely critical, particularly in the consumer space, where I've heard research say 60% of consumer decisions are made by women. And so private equity firms that don't include you know, women, women partners oh, in the decision-making process is ridiculous. Right. So, uh, you know, it's just interesting you know, you know, blending the, the, the cultures, whether it's male or female, but blending the, the, the creative culture with, uh, with, with the business discipline is, is something that a lot of people don't do. 
And, and for us, it just wasn't hard. Um, we, we respected each other so much that we had a clear line of what I excelled at, what she excelled at, and we trusted each other, respected each other, and, and uh, it, just, it just clicked and worked fantastically well. Last question sure. here. What are the, some of the key hires that you made that really clicked mm -hmm. and made that business what it was? And candidly, what are the, you know, and no names, you know. Sure. And what are hires that just went really bust and hurt and, and you had to reverse? Uh, yeah, there are, there are a couple of them. Um, that the, the one that, that was probably the most successful, if you remember when I came on, there was no budget, there was no um, forecast, there was no planning, if, if you will, at all. And one of the things that I felt a huge need was to, was to fix that. So we hired um, a director of finance and accounting, and she just did an awesome job um, and grew into it. And, and the analogy I think of there, if you can imagine you're, you're in a ship at night, and it's foggy, <laughs> and you, don't, you can't go by the stars, you don't know where you're going. And you may be the best sailor, but if you've lost all your ways to navigate, it's going to be a problem. Um, so that's kind of how I felt at the beginning. So by bringing on this person, that we were able to create the financial disciplines. And, and to me, financials don't just tell you the profit and loss. They tell you the story of the company. Right. Well, that, that's, that's important. I, I call it flying without inst instruments. Yeah. The number of people that you know, come to us without a budget is stunning. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, or a plan on how you're going to execute it and your contingency like plans. So that was the first step was, was to get, I would say, the company under control. Um, so that was a good one. Yeah. What's a bust? Well, Tell a, me what a, did, a bust is, well, I had two, two busts, is <laughs> that uh, I believe very heavily in the, in the human resources uh, aspect of it. And I, I hired a person who was very strong from a, from a resume standpoint on her uh, uh, human resource skills, but it was, the culture was just wrong. It mm. was oil and vinegar and oil and water, and it, was ju it just did not match. And within probably a month or two, um, and, and I remember that uh, I knew I had a problem, and this, this lady I told you, the director of finance and accounting, uh, one time, it was getting on in the evening, she calls me up and, and calls me in and says, Mark, can you sit down? I go, oh, I've got a problem here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and she's basically in tears. And uh, I go, well, well, tell me, this is Mark, tell me what's going on. And she says, it's you know, our HR person, it's just a bad mistake and I have a hard time telling you this. And I said, look, it's Mark, tell me. And so then she convinced me that I, what I had already known, that we had made a mistake, and I just had to let her go. She, she, was, she was being, <laughs> it was obvious to other employees, I take it. Yeah, and I knew it, but I just wasn't, I wasn't yeah. uh, acknowledging it. And so mm. then she, and I, uh, 30 I days. it was awesome. You fixed it in 30 days. I, I had to fix it. Okay. And, then, and then I had another person in our IT world. Oh, um, well, that's, that's the end of our, we got one more second, but I, you got it. I take it, uh, you know, one good, two bad. That's, you know. That's about average for firms I've seen. Okay. All right. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. 
Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. In this fast-paced, technologically driven world of business, the stress can be crushing. It's exhausting business leaders and burning out good employees. It is not enough to work from the top down. We must now learn to work from the inside out. Listen to Innovative Mindful Solutions with Terry Geller. We will discuss ways to transform roadblocking emotions using mindful-based tools you can incorporate into your business and your life right now. Don't stress. Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America business channel have you friended us on facebook yet why not just go to facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for the keywords voice america once you are part of our facebook network you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and new happenings at the voice america talk radio network and you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline just go to facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for voice america You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. It's Kevin Feckmeyer, host of Deal Junkie, uh, cracking the private equity code. We are back with Mark Harshbarger. For our final segment, he is going to describe to us how philosophy got to the decision to sell and how the uh, process went and what happened, good or bad. Okay. Um, that uh, as we were growing and having this, this rapid success, you, you run into a time point where you have to look at yourself and say, um, I've got so much of my own equity into this that do I do a liquidity event and pull some of the, the chips off the table and do that. The second thing is, is have I maximized uh, my ability to grow the organization and have I maximized the talent pool that I can exist? There's a number of internal questions you need to go through yourselves. So this is probably in the, oh, I'm t- I can't remember the exact date, but 2003, 2004, that we were hitting that stage. Um, and we entered into, uh, and we didn't sell then. So this is one where we, we had a discussion and, and, mm. and decided not to. That we uh, got in very serious to conversations with an organization, um, a major organization that everybody would know. Private equity or not? No, this, was, this would have been a, 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 strategic. a, a strategic. Okay. And, uh, but we could have gone private, but it was a, a strategic. And as we went through it, and we didn't sign any deals, but we kind of negotiated around a price, that as I started thinking about it at night, um, you know, in sleep, and as you walk, you know, walk through the halls, that it dawned on me that the value I believed in philosophy had not been attained. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I know I was not convinced that the culture was a fit with this organization that we were going to be joining and that the value had been obtained and that we could do a lot better in terms of creating our own value before going on to, say, another strategic or a private equity uh, that, partner. That's a, that's a gutsy, not doing a deal is a gutsy decision. Um, <laughs> it's as gutsy as doing a deal. And, and that was a, more. A, it's a little bit. I was wondering, okay, I mean, we had this great relationship, but I was wondering, okay, how's this going to go for me to uh, recommend walking away from millions of dollars? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it all worked out very well. 
um, to where within two or three years later. Um, well, you, I mean, I know you can disclose some of the public information on what you did sell for. Correct. And I assume that the valuation that oh, you're talking about. Oh, probably, it would have gone up f about five times in two Whoa. or three years. Okay. In terms of what we were talking about and what we went to. But, yeah, what was the public information that, that you can release about the sale? Oh, price? the sale that we did, it was just short of $500 million. Wow. So, it was, in other words, you went from, a, call it, 100-ish down up. And, and below, <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so, in about two, three years later, it, it went up that much. Um, and, and I could feel it in, in my analytical bones, if you will, wow. that we had a lot of untapped potential. Uh, yeah, to, sounds to like hit. it. Uh, you were proven right. And, uh, well, when you know your organization the way we did, um, I, I didn't blame the first company because <clears throat> why would you believe me who's clearly going to be stating all these numbers that no one else is going to believe? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what would be my credibility, even though I knew I was telling the truth, but I could understand well, why would you? And, and so it worked. Um, so it, it became a point that it became pretty obvious that we did hit that criteria to where there was enough value created that it still had a lot of room, and it did. It grew dramatically after we did sell. Um, but we had done a very solid job of creating value that we were tapping out on our point in terms of the expertise that we had within the organization. Mm -hmm. um, and, and between those two things, it, it, it was time. Um, so in the 2006, 2007 time period, it was, it was time for me or time for us to make the decide, decision to sell. Wow. That's, a, that's exciting. And uh, talk about the process. You know, how'd you interview bankers and, you know, or did, the, did someone just come in and, and we, say, here well, we are? Well, we had a very strong uh, relationship with our corporate banker. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I should say our corporate lawyer, I should say. And uh, sat down with them, and they helped us kind of, because we've never done this. Mm -hmm. uh, Christine and I had, had never done this. And so we, we sat down and got some guidance on an investment banker. The investment banker is going to represent us, if you will, in, in negotiating the deal. Did you, ba did you bake them off, or did you? Uh, well, we sat down with two or three of them and okay. interviewed them and, and, felt, and went on a lot on our legal attorney's <coughs> advice of who they had done business with, uh, a firm. Who, who, can you, who is your attorney? Um, it was a gentleman uh, here with Osborne Maldon, Bill Harden. Okay. Um, Great he, guy. He, yeah. And uh, he helped us a lot with that. Um, and so who was it, the banker you chose? Um, and, you know, can I, I'm not sure I can remember the, uh, the firm. It's, it's a Texas firm. Um, a very memorable one. But yeah, yeah, very memorable. Yes. It slips in mind off. Sorry, I don't remember. But they did We're having an investment job. banker section uh, yeah. uh, next but week, and I'm sure they'll remind you they'll of they'll remind the, their right. name. So. Um, <laughs> the... Um, but that process went very, very well. Um, and then they guided us through the, the whole process of uh, putting together the information memorandum, um, which is basically an autobiography of the company. That we, we did a lot of preparation on, on that. We then um, went through um, cleaning up the organization in terms of getting our financial books, our operational books, our operation in place. They guided us through that, again, with the, the legal firm. Uh, helped us on that. And this was only owned by individuals, high net worth individuals, Correct. families. It's basically There's family and friends. No institutional ownership. No institutional you ownership. You got it to a $500 million company. That's correct. That's pretty impressive. Yep. That's pretty rare. And then uh, we went through the, uh, uh, where they issued the book, um, the, the memorandum. We got all, all types of letters of, of interest that uh, we, we filtered that out, and then we went through oh, all so the you, presentations. So, so they got the book. Uh, how, can you share with me how many LOIs? Did, did you entertain? Oh, uh, the ones that we got, I would say probably over 50. 
<laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, and then in terms of so management. So this was just, they went to just their best friends, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, there was a lot of interest. And then oh, we yeah. also did, but, in terms of you sit there and say, okay, you filter it all <coughs> down, that we also came, we did uh, probably 20, 25 management presentations. Oh, my gosh. Um, and it was and all during the time where you're growing 50%, you're not letting the company know that you're up for sale, of course. And uh, in keeping all your customers happy, and, wow. and but that was exciting times. I, I say we're in the frog kissing business. You you had to find out who was the prince and the frogs there, so that was good. And, 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 and you know, we narrowed it down, and it really wasn't that hard. Um, that there was a lot of self filtering. Um, we, if I could have done one thing different, I probably wouldn't have entertained twenty twenty five um, presentations. Could I narrow it down to ten or fifteen? But it is what it was. Um, yeah, it, no, I mean, I was uh, normally it, it, you try to narrow it down even further, but. It sounds like you had almost too much demand, if that's possible. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And the problem there is it became a data overload because not only are they choosing us, but we're choosing them. Right. Um, and, uh, and if I could have done that over again, that would be a, a huge thing to filter that down. But then it came down to a top five. Mm-hmm. Um, then we uh, chose between the top five, and I think everybody knows it was the Carlisle Group, and they were a, a, an excellent pick. Um, then uh, went through the due diligence. What, what did they do better than everyone else? You, you know the other than the maximum high fat price. Sure, that it was the expertise um, that, uh, and it wasn't that the others that came in in second and third place were were inferior. They were all very good. Um, so we had to pick somebody. And pricing was close. Pricing was very close. We had a number yeah. of them that were very within a few million <clears throat> of each other. <clears throat> that, uh, um, but the Carlisle Group and the and the others as well clearly would be able to help us with uh, um, negotiate ongoing contracts with our main distribution channels that expand us into other areas. So they actually added value. Oh, they added value, yeah, absolutely. That's terrific. That's, yeah. And there that's was efficiencies that they could bring into yeah. us uh, in terms of consultants to come in and make our manufacturing better. There was, there was pluses and minuses. I mean, I should say pluses Interesting. Um, all the way along. Well, we'll get in next episode, uh, actually two episodes, we're going to get into, you know, Value-added value investors and minority versus and passive versus majority and active okay. investors, and it's an important decision. But clearly, they bought the majority of the company, but you, you mm-hmm. stayed on. And what did the, the, the what did the rest of the team go on to do? Did there any other future things that that spun out of that group? You, you know, we all stayed on for uh, a year or two. I ended up leaving, um, not the not the first one, and I and I had hoped to stay on. But as you get to know me, there's a variety of things that make my talk click. Obviously, um, professional life was one, but my personal life was uh, of one and and uh, things from a spiritual perspective that I believe in. And uh, as time went on, I just asked myself, you know, was with the time that I have, was I living all the other aspects of my life? And so I made a, a personal decision that said I, I needed to move on and do well, it. Well, philanthropy is a big element. A huge thing for me, yeah. And that, that consumes a big chunk of your time. and a big chunk of my time because, you know, thanks to the success that we had there and the way um, – the company treated me. I had the ability to do other things, and I just needed uh, from a, a wholeness of life to go do that. And mm-hmm. that happened to a, a number of us, and uh, I kept a professional relationship with uh, Christina. Um, we started uh, yet another firm that had great potential. It, it did not pan out, um, and uh, the, the key thing there was is that I then again ran into some personal family issues that distracted me from working on a full-time basis. Well, it's always here. The vast majority of enterprises don't work out nearly as well as what you had. And I think, you know, we always say the third time's a charm. Most entrepreneurs have failed twice Mm. before. And 
you know, I think it's interesting to note that the, there's a lot of different things you can do, you know, post you know, post transaction. We'll talk about that in our final episode, actually, sure. um, about you know how to manage that post transaction wealth, and what do you do with your life? There's a, a whole segment do- devoted to that. Anyway, mm-hmm. thank you for your time, and we really appreciate you being here, Mark. And it's been a pleasure. Thank it's you. A, it's a great story, and a great story here for the state of Arizona. It's uh, one of our, you know, you 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 and Christina are some of the most successful entrepreneurs we've had the privilege of being uh, associated with here in in the state. Great. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for tuning in to Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. Be sure to join Kevin Fechtmeyer and the Deal Team 6 for another edition next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a nice week.